You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melker. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And uh, if you listened last week, yeah, it was a little bit of a, of a shorter show. We were kind of in the uh, the doldrums in between the end of the uh, World Series and moving into the offseason. Well, I think the offseason is maybe we're not quite in it in earnest just yet. But there, there, there have been some interesting developments since the last time. Uh, I chatted to all of you, so uh, there's a lot to uh, to catch up on in the past week. And to help me with uh, with some of it, I'm going to have uh, Brandon Warren on. Haven't had Brandon on the show in a while. Uh, Brandon, of course, you probably know his work from uh, Zone Coverage, among other places. Uh, does some fantastic reporting on the Twins, but also uh, recently published a piece, actually a series of two pieces where he makes predictions about uh, free agency, uh, where uh, the free agents are most likely to land, and uh, the size of their contracts. So I'm going to talk to Brandon about some of his predictions, which are pretty interesting, and uh, also some of his recent reporting on the Twins. Should be a really interesting offseason for them as well. So looking forward to talking to Brandon uh, just a little bit down the line on the show. But the last couple of days, we've had a cu- couple of really interesting stories, uh, one of which I think really the one of the bigger things that's happened in the past few days uh, and, and very much sort of out of nowhere, uh, Lance McCullers having Tommy John surgery just on Tuesday. So he had been pitching through uh, a forearm and elbow issue uh, late in the season as well as in the postseason. That was reported by uh, Jake Kaplan of The Athletic. And... Um, and uh, turned, then there was uh, there were some reports uh, that surfaced. Uh, I want to say Tuesday, maybe as early as Monday, that uh, he might need surgery. But you know, nothing of uh, you know the nature that it turned out to be Tommy John surgery for Lance McCullers. So of course he is going to miss at minimum the entirety of the 2019 season. And this is on top of the Astros losing a pair of their uh, rotation members to free agency. Charlie Morton's a free agent. Dallas Keuchel is a free agent. So they're they're really down to two for sure. Uh, two members of that rotation going into next year. Uh, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. I would have to think Josh James with, with three spots to fill. I would be absolutely shocked if Josh James uh, didn't grab one of those given his performance last year great uh, minor league performance and of course great performance late in the season and in the postseason for Josh James so I would think he'd have to be a favorite uh, then there were uh, there was a report out uh, from Brian McTaggart of MLB.com uh, that uh, Jeff Luno uh, the uh, the uh, Astros uh, what's a general manager I know the, these uh Titles vary a bit from organization to organization, uh, but that uh, he's going to look into the free agent and the trade markets to try to fill out the rotation, which, of course, now is one person uh, thinner with the loss of McCullers for for this year. And I got to say, one of the uh, more amusing tweets I've seen in a long time was Colin McHugh quote tweeting this report from Brian McTaggart 
and just with an emoji of, of him with his hand raised. So, yeah, Colin McHugh, I think, has got to be in that mix. Uh, maybe Brad Peacock as well, who has uh, bounced between the rotation and the uh, bullpen in recent years. <coughs> Excuse me. Forrest Whitley uh, at some point next year, I would think, would have to be part of the rotation. Framber Valdez uh, also looked really good down the stretch. So they've got plenty of in-house options, more than enough, really. Uh, you know, Between James McHugh, Peacock, Whitley, Valdez, that's five right there. Uh, and that's not even really talking about all of the in-house options, but those I would think would be the top ones. So then you you know you toss in the possibility of you know picking up maybe one or two starters uh, off a of free agency or through trades. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about <laughs> I'm not too worried about the Astros rotation situation going into next year. Even just among the options, if they were throwing out Verlander, Cole, Josh James, let's say McHugh and Whitley, or you know any one of those folks, Peacock, Valdez as a number five starter. Nothing wrong with, with that at all. So I'm not too worried about it. But obviously from uh, the perspective of just being a baseball fan and certainly from the perspective of being a fantasy owner, there's a ton of intrigue here in terms of what the Astros are actually uh, going to do. And speaking of intrigue, uh, we've had a number of players that are now either reported or rumored to be on the trade market uh, in the past week or so. I don't know that it's really fair to add JT Real Muto to that list because I think we've known for some time that the Marlins uh, are planning on trading him. And in fact, now that I'm recalling, I'm the lo- I think it was the most recent show, talked about the fact that Real Muto's own agent said, yeah, he's not going to be a Marlin uh, by spring training. So I guess it's not, not, not a recent one. I'll talk about some of the more recent ones in a little bit. But uh, the the news on Real Muto was there was a report uh, earlier on Wednesday, and this is I'm talking to you on Wednesday. I don't know if you're listening to me on Wednesday, but uh, on Wednesday, uh, some reports that the Braves were talking trade with the Marlins uh, about Real Muto, and then there were later uh, reports that basically denied that. Uh, so I'm not sure where the Braves and Marlins are at in terms of a Real Muto trade, but uh, it would certainly make sense for the Braves who are looking to upgrade a catcher and uh, they would have uh, some prospects I think the Browns would, would definitely be interested in, but uh, that one certainly has some time to play itself out. So in terms of some other teams that are uh, making some decisions about whether or not to sell, the Mariners are considering just being sellers this offseason after a good uh, 2018, but not good enough to make the postseason. Uh, but apparently Jerry DePoto is considering uh, being a seller. And uh, there have been reports that um, uh, the James Paxton could be available. And there was actually a report uh, that the Phillies would be interested in trading for uh, James Paxton. So nothing definitive there for the Mariners, but just you know the possibility that James Paxton, maybe Mitch Haniger, uh Robinson Cano, that you know any of them could be on the move, uh, that's pretty intriguing. Uh, John Heyman from FanCred reports that the Diamondbacks are willing to listen on anybody to on anybody on their roster. So obviously that would include Paul Goldschmidt. I think that would be the big big name there. But Zach Greinke too could uh, perhaps be traded. So the uh, pitching market perhaps thickening up a little bit with the potential additions of Zach Greinke and uh, James Paxton. Uh, Clayton Kershaw not on the market. Uh, he re-signed it. In fact, that was one of the big stories 
uh, a week ago that I talked about on the most recent show. And uh, he was he had his deadline, uh, I believe it was last Wednesday, that he then got extended to Friday. And so over that, that two-day period, he and the Dodgers were able to work out a, a new contract extension. So Kershaw added an extra year on his deal, which had two years to go. So he's now going forward. Uh, going to be with the Dodgers for three years for $93 million. So uh, Clayton Kershaw, not going anywhere. Cole Hamels, not going anywhere. Cubs picked up his $20 million uh, option for 2019. And to help clear some room for that, they uh, traded uh, Drew Smiley to the Rangers. Uh, So that's an interesting move, too. But Cole Hamels, who enjoyed much greater success after getting dealt from the Rangers to the Cubs, he'll be a Cub for uh, at least one more year. And CeCe Sabathia, he'll remain in the Bronx for at least one more year. Uh, This could be his last season, perhaps. But CeCe Sabathia just, in fact, uh, earlier today, Wednesday, uh, finalized the one-year $8 million deal to remain with the Yankees. So he'll be... uh, a piece of the uh, rotation for them, a part of that puzzle for uh, 2019. Uh, Bryce Harper, uh, a free agent now, uh, and there was a report recently from Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post that uh, Harper received a 10-year, $300 million offer from the Nationals towards the end of the season back in September, and he turned it down. So uh, they subsequently offered him uh, a qualifying qualifying offer. No surprise there. I'll talk a little bit more about those. Uh, There were six other recipients of qualifying offers this year. Don't think any of them are probably in a position to accept, or or I should say have an incentive to accept a qualifying offer. And getting back to uh, uh, the pitching market, another addition would be uh, Japanese left-hander Yusei Kikuchi. He's uh, 27 years old, uh, according to John. Well, first of all, he was posted uh, earlier in the week by uh, the Cebu Lions. And then according to John Heyman, uh, Kikuchi has hired the Boris Corporation uh, to represent him and not uh, expected to really be quite on the same level as, uh, say, a Hugh Darvish or uh, a Shohei Otani. But um, Tim Dierks of, uh, of uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, MLB Trade Rumors. That should not be a hard one to remember. Uh, but he's got, uh, he's got uh, Kikuchi ranked uh, in between Jay Happ and Charlie Morton, uh, just outside the top 10 free agents uh, overall. Uh, so that gives you some idea of, uh, what the the value could be there, fantasy wise for Kikuchi, and uh, you know where he might go in drafts. So you know it's always a, a guessing game. Uh, you know when we're talking about uh, international signings here. So we've got much much more to talk about. We've got uh, like I said, qualifying offers, uh, some other player news. But we're going to uh, save that for a little bit later because we do have Brandon Warren with us. Uh, Brandon, as I mentioned before. Does great work with uh, zone coverage, uh, fantastic Twins beat reporter, and just great uh, reporter and analyst all along, uh, all around, I should say. Uh, Brandon, great to have you back. Thank you so much for joining me. You got it. What's going on? 
Uh, well, you know, I was uh, t- starting to talk about qualifying offers and you know all the stuff that's going on in the free agent market. Uh, you know these uh, early days here. Uh, so uh, good to have you on and, and to actually uh, help me out with that uh, that discussion. You've written a really neat two part uh, series for zone coverage where you predict the uh, destinations for each of the top fifty free agents and uh, make predictions about the uh, duration and amount of the contract. So I just wanted to, uh, I mean, you go one through 50 over these two, two uh, installments. So I do encourage people to go uh, and, and check those out on their own, but I want to pull from the top 10 or 15 or so, a number of players. uh, And I think your predictions are really intriguing. So um, Manny Machado, uh, certainly Machado and Harper. Those are the two uh, top, uh, top-of-the-line guys that are free agents. Uh, but let's start with Machado. You've got him going to the Phillies. Uh, that's your prediction. Uh, so what what made you uh, look at your what, – what, what was in the crystal ball that uh, made you see that connection? Well, I mean, it, it comes down to I think that they're going to want him to play short or third depending on what happens with J.P. Crawford. seems to me like they don't really like Michael Crawford – excuse me, Michael Franco – as much as they did before, and just have some moving parts. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they want to do the outfield either. You know, they've got Reese Hoskins, and they got Nick Williams, and they got Odubel Herrera. And, you know, it was an outfield that didn't catch any baseballs last year. It was a really bad defensive outfield, perhaps to their own peril in, in a large, you know, large reason why they faded down the end of the end of the season, down the stretch. And so it just it seemed to me like it was an easier fit to shoehorn in, obviously a guy's going to get $30 million per year, probably 10 years, if not more. But it really was just kind of a coin flip in some respects, too, because I just think that they're going to be in the mix for one, or I think they think both, but I don't know that anybody's going to get anywhere near both of them. And so it just came down to which one I thought was a little bit better of a fit. But I'm not going to browbeat anybody if they went with Bryce Harper instead. I really do think the Phillies want to be in that mix because they think that they have a chance to really attack with – not only the Nationals getting weaker with Harper leaving, but the rest of the division, I mean, Atlanta's getting better, but it's, it's a division that's up for grabs right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, certainly, uh, well, I think, yeah, I, I guess it depends on what the Mets may, may do. That maybe they could be in that mix. But, yeah, I think aside from the Marlins, it is very much uh, up for grabs. Uh, now, Bryce Harper, you've got him going to the White Sox, and I've seen some – uh, speculation that the White Sox maybe could go after both Harper and Machado, uh, but uh, there certainly be a fit there for Harper uh, with the White Sox. But where do you see the best fit in terms of position for him? Well, so what it came down to for me was looking at future payroll obligations, and they really don't have any. I mean, Jose Abreu is a free agent after next year, and that will—that's what might open up first base for Harper in the future. Maybe not necessarily immediately. But in the short-term future, maybe four, three or four years into that deal, assuming he doesn't opt out or anything like that. But if, if you know, you look at his metrics, and they weren't very positive this year defensively, and so that's kind of stoked this whole could-he-play-first-base thing that Scott Boris addressed yesterday. But he did play some in center field, too, which hurts him because he's not a center fielder. He's more of a, a right fielder. And, you know, with Adam Eaton and Michael Taylor and, and Victor Robles, you wouldn't have expected him to play much in center. But... It just kind of happened that way, and so with you know the injuries and that sort of thing. So I'm not sure if his decline in right field is the sign of things to come, or in the outfield, sorry, not right field, if it's a sign of things to come with him playing right field and declining further immediately, or if it was just a one-year blip based on sometimes defensive stats aren't as stable in single years. So 
I mean, I think he'd play right field for the White Sox. I don't think Avisail Garcia is any sort of roadblock there. And two, this is the time to go out and spend money because when guys like Luis Robert and, and um, Yohan Mankata, and I mean, I'm missing a whole bunch of guys, they have all these prospects, you can surround them by a big-time talent who you can pay market rate while those other guys are making $500,000 per year and even their early arbitration contracts. And so you don't really have to mess up your budget too badly to go out and sign a player like that. You just have to decide, is that the clubhouse fit that you want to set the tone with for these other young players? And, I mean, Harper's a lot of things. He's intense. He, he plays hard, except if you're John Papelbon, maybe. But um, you know, if he's the guy that you decide you want as your franchise cornerstone, I think Chicago's a good fit. Yeah, I mentioned the prospects. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good uh bit of, of perspective to add to this because uh, uh, Eloy Jimenez, I think, you know, we should expect to see, I mean, we thought we'd see him a bit last year. I think we should definitely expect mm-hmm. to see him in 2019 and uh, you know, he and Harper in the corners, I think, like you said, uh, certainly you wouldn't hold back. I would think because of Avisail Garcia, uh, Nikki Delmonico, I think could, you know, easily go to being a fourth or fifth outfielder and uh, th- that'd be pretty exciting to see. So I, I like that prediction. Uh, now the kind you seem to agree with the consensus that I have seen on Patrick Corbin that he'll sign with the Yankees. Uh, why do you see him going there? I just feel like you, I think they've kind of reset their payroll now to the point where they're not as worried about luxury tax implications, and they can branch out a little bit. I saw they just re-signed CC Sabathia, but that's one year, eight million. They still need help. I mean, they can't rely on someone like a Jordan Montgomery coming off missing a bunch of time and. And they just, I think they need stability. I think, too, you know, they've got to replace J-Hap. I mean, maybe they'll want to bring him back as well. But they've got some innings to fill in there. And, you know, Severino was good last year. Tanaka was good last year. But there's no shortage of question marks with those guys in terms of, you know, Severino, when he slumps, can, can really be off. He's not quite that perfect ace yet, which I think his talent will allow him to eventually be. And I think Tanaka, you always have to worry that he's not, you know, far from potentially having his elbow go on him. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe, that, maybe I'm just thinking too much into the fact that he had a, a bum elbow a couple of years ago and, and just, you know, there's always those questions. But, again, too, it's the Yankees. And if you're not thinking about them in the mix for some of these high-end guys, you know, you're probably overthinking it. I, although, with that said, you know, people keep saying Bryce Harper, and I just, I, I'm not sure I see a fit. Even, again, this will sound funny, but they brought back Brett Gardner. They've got Hicks in center. You've got Stanton. You've got Judge. You got Frazier. I mean, you've got lots of pieces. They could clear that jam up uh, with some trades and takes as a free agent after next year. But I just, I don't know if they're going to be in that that Harper mix really. And so, if you aren't in the mix for one of the position players, maybe you are for a pitcher. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, some of the speculation that I've seen is that the Yankees would view Harper maybe as a first baseman, but uh, mm-hmm. which would make that more sense because, like you say, they're yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, if they certainly if they turn away from him, then uh, or even if they do, I, I would think they'd have the resources to uh, to go after do, Corbin. Do you want to do you want to pay three hundred million for a first baseman? Though that's the other thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the excellent point there. Uh, well. You know, in terms of the uh, you know continuing uh, arms war, you know between the Yankees and, and the Red Sox, you know if the Yankees are going to spend, you know the Red Sox are certainly going to try to uh, you know maintain what they did this year, and uh, so you've got Craig Kimbrell going back to the Red Sox. Uh, I did see a report very shortly after the World Series that if they did not resign Kimbrell, they might lean on either Ryan Brazier or Matt Barnes to close. And that that certainly they're good relievers, but that certainly does seem like a, a a risky uh, move to make. So 
I can certainly see the incentive for Kimbrel going back to the Red Sox, but are there other factors that you, you see there that could lead him back uh, to resign with them? Yeah, in that case, I went status quo just because that bullpen without him, I mean, even with him, wasn't the greatest bullpen. I mean, Brazier kind of came out of nowhere, and they didn't get what they were hoping for out of Joe Kelly. You know, you would kind of think he's got that prototypical velocity and everything you want from a reliever, just didn't piece it together. And, you know, they got nothing out of Carson Smith and ended up taking him off the 40-man, and he's a free agent. I mean, they kind of patch it together with guys like Workman. and I mean, just kind of names that really don't stand up. And if they let Kimbrough go, I mean, this is a market that's going to have some pretty good arms. But I wonder if they don't want to just go status quo with a guy who, when he's right, is one of the best closers of the game. And so, um, you know, I've seen a lot of Red Sox fans saying he's as good as gone, and, and maybe they're right. Sometimes fans don't always have the pulse of what's going on. But in this case, too, I mean, there's a lot of good fits. The, the Cardinals need help. The Nationals have been uh, in, in search of bullpen help forever. And so there'll be no shortage of suitors. I just went with Red Sox, you know, with the chalk there because it felt like I just didn't think they could let him get away unless they're planning on going out and signing two or three other arms. And, and maybe that makes more sense to spend that money earmarked for him uh, and spread it out. But I just think that they're going to want to bring him back, um, you know, it's- moving into 2019. Yeah, I mean it's it's really sort of a conundrum from their perspective because you do they do need some depth, uh, and you know at the same time if they you know maybe forego Kimbrel for just more quantity of reliable relievers, you're still you've got somebody in the ninth inning who's almost certainly a big downgrade. So I, yeah, I'm not sure what the right move is going to be uh, for them. Uh, so you know maybe bringing him back is is just you know going to be well, the, I, the best way to go. I think Robertson. I think Robertson would be a good uh, two-handed, you know, uh, take from the, the rival while solidifying your back end your bullpen, <laughs> but he's going to have a lot of suitors too. So it's going to be a fun yeah. relief market. I, I looked into that extensively last night in something I wrote, and there's a lot of really interesting arms out there. Yeah, no, there are, uh, you know, including uh, Adam Adovino, who hasn't closed much, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, could close right. for somebody. So, yeah, there's uh, yeah, a lot of interesting arms out there. Uh, so, uh, Charlie Morton, I talked a little bit about the Astros situation with Lance McCullers uh, out for all of 2019. Do you think that increases? You already predicted Morton would go back to the Astros. Uh, do you think that that do you feel more confident in that prediction now with McCullers? Yeah. out? Yeah, for me, it just doesn't make sense for him to leave, and it doesn't make sense for them to let him go. I'm not sure why they didn't QO him, because if he takes one year and $18 million or whatever the specifics are, I mean, you're probably happy with that at his age. I think he's, what, 36? So, um, yeah. you know, his best years have come in Houston. He kept most of the grounders while adding velocity and strikeouts in his mid-30s. I just don't know if you want to go somewhere else for a few extra bucks when you've been so successful with them and they've been so successful with you. You add in that they're going to be without McCullers, and I know McHugh's preparing to start this offseason. I think he's overseas right now with the USA team. But, yeah, um, yeah I just think that it just makes too much sense. I mean, again, he might get two, three more million bucks per year on a two-year deal to go play somewhere else, but is that really worth it? And, and maybe it is for him. I'm not going to tell him how to earn his money. I just feel like it's too good <laughs> of a fit to, to leave. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and you know maybe they could just bring him in back for a one-year deal since he he, he mm-hmm. was apparently considering retirement anyway, even this off season. So yeah, uh, yeah, I think that would make a, a world of sense, especially now that they're one more uh, starter down. 
Uh, and then uh, just to wrap up here on the the uh, free agent market, and again, I would you know urge people to go to Zone Coverage and you know check out the full top fifty uh, that you have. And uh, by the way, also follow you on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren W A R N E. But uh, to, to just wrap up the free agent part of this, a uh, couple of catchers pretty high in your rankings: Wilson Ramos and Yasmani Grandal. You've got Grandal going to the Astros. Ramos uh, going back to the Nationals. Uh, so how do you arrive at those conclusions? Yeah, you know, for me, it's kind of a catcher roulette because Ramos going back there, you know, it was very clear that um, Matt Wieters just didn't have anything to offer. It's a spot where they're really weak. And so I just thought it made a lot of sense for, for him to go there. I think he's going to have a lot of suitors because his perceived lack of durability is going to hurt his market a little bit. I know the Mets are looking for a catcher, and a bunch of teams are looking for catchers. But he played, I think, 111 games last year, and he, he caught and played more than people might think. And he hasn't been super durable, but, you know, he had a knee issue and all that. So if his market is down a little bit, it's, it's going to allow a lot more teams to jump into that mix. Whereas with Grindel, I just think it's another kind of a catcher two-step for Houston. They went from Jason Castro to Brian McCann. Now they can go from Brian McCann to Yasmani Grandal, and they've kind of upgraded all along the way. And so I thought the Twins would be a great fit for Grindahl. I've been huge on that, uh, that wagon all offseason. But uh, to this point, it doesn't seem like they're going to be interested on the high-end catcher market. Maybe like a Robinson Chirinos or something like that, John Morosi said. But, um, you know, I think it's the way it's going to end up happening is I think that the Astros don't have a, too many places they can improve. And behind the plate is one of them. And so why not get the best guy available? All right. Well, look, you know, since, uh, well, I was going to go here anyways, but you, you kind of provide the segue to talk about sure. the, the twins and their cat- catching situation. So why, why would they prioritize, uh, catching given that, uh, I, Castro will be back next year. Is that right? Should be. I mean, he's had a, he's had a labor, uh, not a labor, I'm sorry, a meniscus issue before. So, I mean, yeah. maybe you want to protect against that a little bit. Mitch Garver had a concussion late in the year and his defense is just not, not that great. Uh, just needs a little bit of work, but he's been working really hard on it. And then Williams Estadio, obviously a fun story. But if you bring in another catcher, your two MLB guys would be Chirinos and Castro, which is a pretty awesome platoon. I mean, it's it's maybe not Tyler Flowers, Kurt Suzuki level from 2017, but it's pretty darn good. And then uh, both the other guys have options. And so anytime you've got four guys who can help you in the big leagues to catcher, it means you're not turning to guys like Juan Centeno like the Twins did two years ago. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And plus, I think Chirinos... Um, will be fairly economical. He can really hit. He's a good blocker, but he doesn't throw too well, and his framing isn't all that great. So I don't know. It, it, it might be a mix-and-match situation with Castro, who is basically the exact opposite. And, uh, I, Brandon, I can't remember if this is your reporting or maybe somewhere else, but I also saw uh, maybe Chris Jimenez coming back, and uh, he, he just seems to be a favorite wherever he goes. So um, so he, he told me that he would only sign with the Twins or the Diamondbacks. I'm not sure if if I've reported that widely, but uh, maybe that's a scoop here. Um, but Reno is the AAA team for Arizona, and that's where it's right next to where he's from. But uh, if he plays AAA ball again, he would only do it in uh, in Reno or perhaps in the twin system. Otherwise, I think he might be done. All right, all right. Uh, well, a little disappointing, I have to say, about Astadio. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, like I said, fun player, to fun player to own for fantasy, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we're... Where do you think would be the, the Twins' biggest need? Is it a catcher, or uh, do you think that they're going to look to upgrade from Tyler Austin or you know, fill out the hole left by Brian Dozier at second? Uh, what's the, the priority for them? I think, I mean, 
there's a lot of avenues you could take. It's almost like reading one of those books we read as kids where you read a page and then you pick your option and then you turn to a different page and come to a conclusion. If you sign a good defensive shortstop, you can move Jorge Polanco to second, so Jose Iglesias. Um, you could sign a really good outfielder like A.J. Pollock or Andrew McCutcheon and then move Max Kepler into play first and put two with Tyler Austin. There's not a lot as far as first baseman, but if you sign like a Josh Donaldson, you can mix and match with him at third and Snow at first or vice versa, depending on Donaldson's health. Or, you know, DH is open. You can sight, shuttle some guys through. So as far as like the biggest issue, I don't know if you can identify necessarily one, but I, I will say this. As things stand right now, Jose Barrios is the only guy that they really have committed beyond 2019 in the rotation. Kelly Gibson's a free agent. Um, Michael Pineda will be a free agent. They've got uh, Jake Odorizzi, who's eligible for free agency. I'm not sure who else I'm missing. But um, even if they sign someone like a Trevor Cahill to a one-year deal, they've got a lot of young guys they've got to cycle through, whether it's Fernando Romero, Zach Littell, Steven Gonzalez, Cole Stewart, or even a little further down, Bruce Dardrad or all, and, and those kind of guys. So they've got to get some answers in this rotation. As much as they've got bodies, they need answers. So maybe that's what I would say is their biggest issue, even if it's not blatantly obvious. Huh, interesting. All right. Um, well, where does uh, Byron Buxton fit in? Uh, it really became sort of an afterthought, at least for me. Uh, I have to admit, uh, you know, I was going to ask you about Nick Cave, and, or not Nick Cave. I always do that. I was thinking <laughs> Nick Cave, JK. Nick Cage. You're thinking, uh, you're thinking of Nick Cage. That's what you're thinking of. Yeah, well, and there, there's uh, was a, a, a rock a rock musician named Nick Cave. So, oh, there you uh, go. Yeah, well, and all yeah, all kinds of reasons for me to be confused. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, did he do enough to you know raise any questions about Byron Buxton or maybe Buxton's you know own performance and, and injury woes? Uh, Where does he stand? I think they're still all in on Byron Buxton. And I think what you see here is Jake Cave is like an elite level fourth outfielder. He doesn't play enough defense to stick in center. And he doesn't have enough discipline to play every day in the corner. But he's the kind of guy you will give you a thunder off the bench. He's a good clubhouse guy. Um, he'll do whatever you ask of him. And especially too, with some plate appearances at DH available, you can mix and match him with Tyler Austin. Those guys are buddies from the, the Yankee system, which is where they were together before last year. So, um, you know, it's, it's a good chemistry thing for those two guys. And, you know, he showed quite a bit, but he's also got a lot to prove in terms of, um, you know, if he adds, I, I, I'm less certain about the defense because you kind of are who you are in center field. But if he takes a few more walks, I mean, you've got a pretty nice player as opposed to someone who's, uh, you know, all thunder and, um, you know, a lot of swing and miss. But either way, I mean, he's a nice player, but I just, I don't think of him as a big league caliber corner outfielder at least not yet all right all right and uh one last player to ask you about here nick gordon uh twins certainly have some prospects uh, you mentioned some of them a little further down the pipeline but uh had a gordon had a good season double a not so good promoted when he was promoted to triple a but how how close is he yeah the big thing is he's faded so hard in second halves this last couple of years and it's probably due to his size he's not a real big guy I think the question now is, do they sign a bridge second baseman and, you know, an Ian Tinsler or, you know, Brian Dozier type? I don't think Dozier's coming back. And then let Gordon kind of force that player out. Or is there a shorter-term vision where maybe Iglesias plays short, Polanco plays second, Gordon is either trade bait or he really, really has to force the team's hand with Royce Lewis kind of leapfrogging him? Because, frankly, Royce Lewis is, is not far off. I mean, 
If he's on the Joe Mauer path, he could be on this team in 2020. If, if Nick Gordon doesn't stick it short, and a lot of people don't think he can, um, you know, his stock is significantly dampened. And so maybe he's trade bait for, I mean, uh, a reclamation guy like Sonny Gray or something. I mean, I'm not saying the Yankees need him, but um, he could be flipped. I, you know, he's not a Calvi Levine draft pick, and he went, what, fifth overall and has not really delivered on that. So I don't know. There's a lot of question, question marks. He's a decent player, but he just doesn't really look like a future star. Yeah, no, a little bit of a breakout maybe, but like you said, he's he's faded uh, late mm-hmm. the last couple of years, and so you know, it's, is it just not having the uh, the durability, or is it just you know struggling upon promotion to a higher level? Uh, maybe kind of hard to to unpack that, but uh, yeah, yep. it'll be interesting to to see yeah see uh, how that plays out this season with him. So uh, well, Brandon, again, uh, people can find your work at uh, Zone Coverage. They can find you on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren uh, and you're a fantastic follow. You've got a really cool new logo that we chatted about offline. <laughs> so people <laughs> nice, should definitely yeah. uh, check, check, check your workout. Uh, so anyways, thank you so much for taking the time and look forward to uh, hopefully uh, having you back on again sometime soon. Anytime. I appreciate it very much. All right. Uh, my pleasure, Brandon. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out Brandon's uh, two-part uh, series uh, that was published within the last week or so on the uh, Top 50 Free Agents. Uh, really, really good stuff and, and glad to get a little bit of the background and context for some of those uh, some of those predictions. Um, so, uh, because I was able to get Brandon uh, to join me here a little bit sooner than I uh, was, was planning on, uh, a, a few items uh, from earlier in the show that uh, uh, I left hanging here. So uh, let me get back to just some of the news items. Uh, and some of these are, you know, frankly, they're maybe a little bit stale by now. But now that I'm doing a once a week show, I haven't had much of an opportunity to chime in on some of these things. So uh, first of all, we do have a report from uh, John Morosi of uh, MLB Network. That, according to the Tigers' GM, Al Avila, uh, Miguel Cabrera should be ready for the beginning of spring training. Of course, he missed uh, the bulk of the season, uh, having had surgery to repair uh, a ruptured left biceps tendon. So there's all kinds of questions uh, surrounding Miguel Cabrera. So at least this is one less question that, uh, at least as of right now, does not appear that he'll be late uh, for the the start of spring training and, and therefore not late uh, and maybe not fully prepared for the start of the 2019 season, but uh, has definitely been in some decline, had a lot of serious health issues. So, uh, you know, I imagine that, uh, you know, you'll be able to get Tim in drafts next year, even with this positive news here that he'll be ready, or at least expected to be ready for the start of spring training. Uh, you know, not going to be, uh, you know, as an expensive an option uh, as he was just, you know, even a couple of years ago. We have some hires uh, in the front office and the dugout. The Giants on Tuesday hired Farhan Zaidi, who was the Dodgers GM, to be their head of baseball operations. So big move there and maybe a change of direction uh, for the Giants. Meanwhile, the Dodgers did uh, get uh, Dave Roberts to... uh, Sign up for four more years, four-year contract extension for uh, Dave Roberts to continue managing the team. And also, uh, this is going back probably better part of a week, but uh, the Rangers hired Chris Woodward to become their new manager, uh, succeeding Jeff Bannister. Uh, so Woodward, a uh, bit of a, a journeyman player, uh, came up with the Blue Jays 
and uh, played for a few other teams as well, but never really stuck as a as a regular player. But uh, this will be his, of course, his first managerial uh, experience. And uh, let me get back to qualifying offers because I did start to talk about that earlier in the show. Uh, we've already mentioned. Uh, maybe I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, Harper. I mentioned Harper. Uh, getting offered the qualifying offer. No surprise there. The uh, other six, Dallas Keuchel, and as uh, Brandon mentioned just a little while ago, uh, Charlie Morton was not offered a qualifying offer, but Dallas Keuchel was. A couple of Diamondbacks, Patrick Corbin and A.J. Pollock, got uh, the qualifying offer. Hunjin Ryu, Yasmani Grandal, and Craig Kimbrell. And this year, the amount uh, up to $17.9 million for uh, the one-year offer. And I don't really see any of these folks uh, having anything close to an incentive to uh, take a one-year $17.9 million offer. Um, so we've, the last couple of years, we've had a few. I think there's been a total of five players now that have accepted the qualifying offer. But uh, this class, I don't, I don't see any candidates there. So uh, we've had... Gold Glove Awards uh, announced uh, since the last show, and finalists for uh, the other major awards. And uh, I'm just going to pass on that for right now because uh, by the next show we'll know at least some of uh, the award recipients. And uh, so, you know, rather than speculate or you know talk about the players who are finalists, we'll I'll uh, I'll uh, jump on that topic uh, for the next show. And uh, finally, uh, just to mention some sad news, uh, and again, this is uh, sad news that we've now known for a a few days, Uh, but uh, we we mourn the losses of uh, more uh, players uh, due to uh, a car accident, uh, in this case, uh, in Boca Chica, Dominican Republic. Uh, Reds pitching prospect uh, Jairo Capion died in this uh, car accident. He was just 19 years old. Uh, The two other two passengers Raul Hernandez and Emilio Garcia. Uh, they have since been moved from uh, the Dominican Republic to a hospital in Miami. Uh, Hernandez was in critical con- condition, uh, but both Hernandez and Garcia now in a hospital in Miami. And uh, uh, they are also uh, 19 years old. So, um, you know, hoping for uh, recoveries uh, for both Hernandez and Garcia, but uh, very, very, very sad news there. So, uh, in any event, that's going to be it uh, for me for uh, this show. But like I said, next week uh, I will talk about uh, the uh, you know the annual awards that come out, uh, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, and uh, also really looking forward to having Nick Dika of Fangraphs uh, on the show next week and of the band The Arkells. Pretty cool. Anyway, uh, looking forward to talking to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Take care.